Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Welcome here everyone. It is uh, wonderful to worship with you all. I uh, just really enjoyed it. Really appreciate being here with you all. Let's... uh, Let's pray together as we come into the message. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the body of believers that we call the church. I thank you that uh, three unique uh, parts of your body are gathered together today in one place. And I pray as we are gathered here today that your spirit uh, will move amongst us, that we will hear from you, that we will receive from you, that our hearts would be renewed and refreshed as we worship, as we uh, pray, as we uh, dig into scripture together. I pray that we would be knit together as one. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Am I getting a little bit of an echo there? Okay. Just wanted to mention it. I'm sure you know. I <laughs> just, just wanted to mention it so we can get that. It's uh, kind of ringing out. Well, I'm very, very happy to welcome Bow Valley Baptist and uh, Tapestry Church to join us this morning. I, I really do love being able to worship together. And we get to celebrate as well today. We get to celebrate that we are serving our community together, partnering in the work of blessing our community and sharing the gospel through our Backyard Kids Club. As uh, Pastor Jason read, it reminded me of the beginning of Psalm 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Now, the interesting thing is we as a church have been working through a sermon series examining what the church is all about. And our last sermon in the What is Church series that was scheduled for today is called A United People. And so how excellent it is that it kind of fell together that we're all united today, uh, celebrating together uh, our Backyards Kid Club and just celebrating together who we are in Christ. And so that kind of worked out really nicely. And here's what I'll say about unity. Unity is close to God's heart. We remember that Jesus prayed for all those who would follow him. He prayed, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So the unity of the followers of Jesus is a sign to the world that we are sent by Jesus into the world. And so we're united so that we can be sent into the world and become a witness of the gospel to the world around us. So unity in the church is precious. Unity within our own local bodies of believers, of course, but also unity in the body of Christ universal. The church that transcends denominational lines and congregational boundaries Unity amongst the followers of Jesus is a sign to the world of the truth of the gospel that we preach. And disunity in the body shows the world nothing they haven't seen before. Unity of the body of Christ is a sign that what we say about Jesus is true. And that's what Jesus says. And because scripture teaches that we must be one just as the Father and the Son are one, services like today are hugely important. 
And projects like the Backyards Kid Club, where we work together for the good of our community and to explain the hope that we have found in Jesus is crucial to doing the work of God's kingdom that God has invited us to partner with him in. So isn't it cool how we get to partner with God in the work he is doing and we get to partner together to do it as one, proclaiming the gospel. But unity in the church is not an easy task. Very short story, back when I was a teenager in in Hannah, Alberta, we used to run a backyards kids club. And we had a pastor from one of the other churches send his granddaughter to our backyards kid club and, uh, and she was from a different denomination, and, and she had a great time at camp, and when we kind of came to the part where, you know, would you like to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, and she put her hand up and prayed a prayer that she would follow Jesus, and, you know, all the workers at the Backyards Kid Club were so excited to tell her grandfather, your granddaughter has, like, made a commitment to follow Jesus with her life, and he said, oh, no, it doesn't count here. It doesn't count. You did it. It's not us, so it doesn't count. And I thought, so, so unity is not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing in the church. And we see this in, in the scripture as well. You think about the Apostle Paul, and he's, he's putting churches all across the Roman Empire. And he has to deal with a rapidly growing number of believers spread out across this empire. And these believers are coming from all different backgrounds, Right? Some of them were Jewish and some of them were Gentiles. And there were slaves and slave masters and there was former pagan priests and probably some Jewish rabbis and synagogue leaders. People with different views on on everything. And they're coming into the the newly formed family of God with questions like, should we all celebrate the Jewish feast days? Should we follow dietary restrictions? And they're now put together and joined together by Christ into a new family, the family of God. Now, there were so many differences of opinion on secondary matters that Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, devotes one entire section. Now, we've called it Romans chapter 14, but he has one entire section devoted to tolerating each other's different convictions and perspectives. In Romans 14, we read things like this. Paul writes, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. Why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Because Paul is very aware that all these differences of opinion on secondary matters could rip the church apart. And he says, you've got to tolerate one another. You've got to give room for differing convictions here. The same Holy Spirit that indwells you indwells your brother or your sister. Let them be convinced in their own mind and do not look down on them. Do not condemn them. And so what we see in the letters of the New Testament, we see that the apostles with prayer and with the help of the Holy Spirit are encouraging these newly birthed churches to seek unity amongst each other. To be one body with different parts. There's absolutely no encouragement in the scriptures to separate the church into a Jewish believer's church and a Gentile believer's church, although that would be easier. There were so many differences of opinion, it would have kind of been easier to say, okay, the Gentiles can follow Jesus this way, the Jewish people can follow Jesus this way, but that never happens in the New Testament. They say, no, we've got to come together. We've got to have our own convictions and we've got to come together. They're going to have to cling to their faith in Christ and have Jesus be the head of the body and be the one to whom they are united under and with. 
Now, Paul, it's in his letter to the Ephesians where he appeals to their faith in Jesus to be the reason that they must stand as one. He writes this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So one of my favorite passages of Scripture, because Paul writes here that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. We need to bear with one another in love. So he says we need to be humble, we need to be gentle, we need to bear with one another in love. And so what this means is that there is effort involved in maintaining the unity of the body. It doesn't just always naturally happen. There's choices that we make. There's choices that we make to either preserve the bond of peace or to walk away in disunity. Now the unity that we talk about, the unity of the body of Christ presented in Scripture is deeper than just being united because we happen to share the same worldview or we like the same style of worship music or the same type of preaching. It's deeper than that. You can form all sorts of little social clubs based around like-minded activities and hobbies. But our unity is deeper than that. There's actually a spiritual bond for those who belong to Christ. We are all in union with Jesus, who has made a way for us to become children of God, indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. And so our union with one another is based on our shared union with Jesus. And it becomes then crucial to really understand that we are truly born anew into the family of God that we are all children of God. I think sometimes we reduce this language to kind of flowery language. Oh, yes, the family of God. Oh, yes, children of God. But there is deep significance to saying that we are children of God. We share the same Father through the same Redeemer. And therefore, our union with one another is a spiritual union based on our union with Christ himself and the indwelling Holy Spirit that forms us into a living temple of God's presence. Just grasp the significance of this. That because we share the same spirit, we are forming the temple of God's presence. And not only that, we are God's children. Brothers and sisters united through Jesus. And that's so important for us to understand. And this spiritual union means that we should love each other deeply in the same way that we might love members of our own biological family. In fact, what was happening in the early church is that you were often going to be cut off or ostracized by your extended family if you became a Christian. And so the church really did become your new family. You were united not by blood, but by the Spirit, which was deeper and stronger. And so love for one another is actually what marks us as those who follow Jesus. And this love for one another is a Spirit-empowered love. 
It's a love that's not based on opinions or preferences, but a love that comes from God's love for us, calling us all his children by the indwelling spirit. The Apostle John in 1 John 4, 7 to 12 writes this. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now this ability to love and forgive each other would not be possible if we did not share the same spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in each of us, and this is why if we walk in step with the Spirit, we have this amazing ability to love one another and to live in unity with one another. And we can even have unity in the midst of disagreement. We can love one another even as we share differences of opinion. If you're married, I bet you you don't always have the same view as your wife or as your husband. You probably have some disagreements sometimes. You probably maybe never even resolve those things. You have to agree to disagree. Do you still love one another? Absolutely. And so in the body of Christ, there's this room that we love one another and we can still have some disagreements and some differences of opinion. That's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 14. He's not saying you're all gonna, you know, everyone's gonna do this thing. He's like, hey, some are gonna follow the Jewish holy feast days. Others aren't. Let each be convinced in their own mind. Love one another. Do not condemn each other. So how can we disagree on some matters and still claim unity? It's because our unity is built on that spiritual union with the Godhead and with one another, bringing us into a new family, God's family. We're all new creations in Christ. And although we might disagree on some secondary or third issues, if we agree on the person and the work of Jesus, then we're in the family. And we have to love one another as Christ loved us. And of course there's going to be disagreements within the family. Even the Apostle Paul had disagreements with the, with the people he worked with. Look at the, the missionary journeys of Paul. In his first journey, he goes out with John, Mark, and Barnabas. At some point in the journey, John, Mark leaves them and goes back. When they finish their mission and they're planning their next missionary journey, um, Barnabas wants to bring along John Mark, and Paul says, absolutely not. I don't want to bring John Mark along. He left us last time. And they have such a, a massive disagreement over this that they actually separate. They split ways. Barnabas goes one way with John Mark, and Paul goes another way. And I, I share this example from Paul and Barnabas, not saying it's something that we need to model or something that we need to do, but what I want you to see is that, you know, what I've noticed is sometimes people get really discouraged with the state of the church today. And they seem to elevate the early church, the New Testament church, into this lofty ideal of people who just, they loved each other, you know, all the time. There was no disagreements, no arguments. I'm going, that's not actually what's happening there. What's happening is they're clinging to their faith in Jesus as a thing that unites them. And so I think people sometimes can get discouraged and think there's no way that churches today could be as effective as the early church because we're too fragmented, right? There's too many different denominations, too many different boundaries drawn but I'd say that there's no reason to be discouraged because there's disagreements in the early church just like we have some disagreements today. So how do you deal with disagreements in the church? Both within your local body but also in the broader body of Christ. That's really what we need to know. Is it possible to disagree in some areas and still be united in faith, to be united in Christ? Absolutely. 
if we keep the main thing the main thing. And what's the main thing? It's that love for one another. Because that's the command from Jesus that secures unity in the body, despite maybe some minor differences of opinion or practice. Remember what Jesus said. It's not a suggestion. He said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when the church lacks love for one another, whether it's within your local body or whether it's amongst the body of believers, the world actually no longer sees the witness of the gospel. Jesus says it's by your love, by your love for one another that the world will know that you are my disciples. And so we love. Our, our starting point when we come to a place of disagreement over practice or, or even theological difference, our starting point is we love our brothers and sisters in the faith. That's first and foremost. We can be very willing to agree to disagree. We can stand by our opinion, but in no way should we begin to personally attack another person or vilify them because we are commanded to love one another. So we can't let these disagreements affect that love we have for one another. Paul puts it like this to the Colossians. He says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace. The truth of it is this. Our gospel message that we can have peace with God rings hollow if we cannot have peace with one another. And although we have freedom to disagree, we do not have freedom to lack love, to lack humility, to lack patience or gentleness with one another. And if we lack love for one another, the world will not see a loving family united in faith and hope. They'll see just another human institution, unsettled and at odds with one another. Oh, the church is just like any other organization. They fight and they have political moves and they have this and they have that. But if we show the world something they've never seen before, they go, there might be something to it. That's the point that Jesus is making. By your love for one another. And we also keep in mind that we have a mission. The entire universal body of Christ has a mission. The church does not exist to be a social club where we meet like-minded friends and enjoy the company of like-minded people. We exist to be equipped with the gifts of the Spirit. Each one of us has been given a gift of the Spirit to serve one another, but also so that we can be built up and proclaim the gospel to the world. That is the mission of the universal body of Christ. Scott McKnight says, we are called by God to participate in God's mission in the world, to redeem it through Jesus Christ, the world's true Savior, Lord, and King. Each of us participates in that mission according to the gifts given to us by God. However, I'll say this, without love for one another, without like-mindedness about our mission, without striving for unity in our faith, we'll be hindered in our ability to proclaim the gospel in its fullness. I'm sure you have noticed how polarized and divided and fractured our world and even our nation has become in recent years. Unfortunately, we see this division 
and this polarization even entering sometimes into our churches. And we must, as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In an age where many are divided against each other, we are called to be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. And if worldly division and polarization infiltrates the church, we'll be hindered in our ability to serve together with one heart and with one purpose. And our proclamation of the gospel will seem untrue, for the love that we should have for one another will not be evident to the world. And I think that's the most heartbreaking thing, is when we allow worldly divisions to break apart the bond of peace that we have in Christ. And we make every effort to keep the bond of peace. And so, today is a great day for this, that we would make a firm commitment to love one another, our brothers and sisters in the faith, to be united in Christ and not divided, and certainly not divided over such trivial things as church practices or customs or political preferences. Because we belong to a heavenly kingdom. Where's your citizenship at? Is it here? No, it's in heaven. You have a heavenly citizenship. We belong to a heavenly kingdom. We serve the king of kings, and everything is trivial in comparison to that fact. because we're going to share eternity with one another. Imagine dividing over things that have no eternal value and then being united for eternity. I want to just close by giving you an example, two examples of, of how unity and love within, a, within the diverse body of Christ can look. And I'm going to use first the, the preacher Charles Spurgeon as an example. Uh, Charles Spurgeon was famously against any kind of high church practice. He really disliked it. I mean, really disliked it. But he knew a high churchman named George Herbert. And here's what Spurgeon said about George Herbert. He said, where the spirit of God is, there must be love. And if I have once known and recognized any man to be my brother in Christ Jesus, the love of Christ forced me no more to think of him as a stranger or a foreigner, but a fellow citizen with the saints. He says, now I hate high churchism as my soul hates Satan which I think is a bit harsh. I, just, I don't think that's crazy, right? But anyways, he hates it. Like, he hates it. As much as he hates Satan, he hates high churchism. But, but, he says, I love George Herbert. Although George Herbert is a desperately high churchman, and I hate his high churchism, but I love George Herbert from my very soul. Wow, okay. He loves him, right? He says, I have a warm corner in my heart for every man who is like him. Let me find a man who loves Lord Jesus as George Herbert did, and I do not ask myself whether I shall love him or not. There is no room for that question, for I cannot help myself. Unless I were to stop loving Jesus, I cannot cease loving those who love him. Now, he hates his high churchism as he hates Satan, but he loves George Herbert as much as he loves Jesus. Right? So what's Spurgeon saying? He's saying we can disagree with some practices and some traditions of other denominations, but those are not the things that we base our love for our brothers and sisters upon. If they sincerely love Jesus, and we sincerely love Jesus, and Jesus loves us both and considers us his friends, then how dare we withhold love from another believer and follower of Jesus? It's this love for one another that proves we're different from the world and we belong to a different kingdom. 
And that's why I think it was so heartbreaking to see, you know, political tensions dividing the body of Christ. Because that's not even a thing of eternal value. We don't even belong to that kingdom because we belong to the heavenly kingdom. To be very honest with you, there's a lot of pastors and Christians and other denominations with whom I don't agree with their theological positions or their interpretation of scripture. And they're not always minor differences either. Yet I must humble myself. First remembering this, number one, I don't know it all. And that knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I don't know nearly as much as I think I do. Try and remind myself of that. Secondly, I also must make a point of allowing the Holy Spirit to help me love the ones Jesus loves. I remember that many of the things that I think are important are not really that important in the scope or in the light of eternity. And finally, I remember this, and we should all remember this, that there is no theological or biblical exam that gets any of us into eternal life. But salvation is a gift of grace based upon the work of Jesus on the cross. Meaning, what right do I have to not fellowship with someone over secondary theological differences if Jesus saved us both? If we've both been born as new creations in Christ into God's family, then I welcome my brothers and sisters in faith and I love them as I would my own family. Even if I hate their high churchism as my soul hates Satan, which I don't because that's crazy. I want to give you one final example of how Jesus brings us to unity, despite sometimes major differences of opinion. Just look at the 12 disciples that Jesus called. This is a really weird mix of people, and I'm going to highlight two of them. You've got Simon the Zealot and Matthew, also known as Levi, the tax collector. You could not have two people more at odds. Simon, as a zealot, would have been violently opposed to any of the Roman rule. One sect of the zealots in 63 AD actually went out murdering Jewish people that they thought were too close to the Romans. They hated Roman rule. They hated everything to do with Rome. They hated Jews who associated with Rome. Then you have Matthew, who's a tax collector. Well, he, did, he was a tax collector for the Romans. A lot of his fellow Jewish people would have said that he was a traitor. So you have a zealot who hates Rome and the Jewish people who associate with Rome. And then you have a tax collector who said, yeah, yeah, I'll collect taxes for Rome. I'll I'll tax my own people. And Jesus puts them together. Can you imagine the conversations they must have had? Probably not conversations. I mean, some pretty pretty deep-seated arguments, I imagine. But what overcame the differences was faithfully following Jesus. And beginning to understand that the kingdom of God that Jesus was ushering in was bigger than Rome. It was even bigger than Israel. It was bigger than than Jerusalem. It was a worldwide kingdom. It was a a kingdom that transcended all these things, these political preferences, these denominational practices, or these preferred styles of music or worship services. And so it's faithfully following Jesus that helps us put to death all these things that that cause disunity amongst us. And so we can have differences of opinion on many issues, but our union with Jesus, our shared citizenship in the kingdom of God and the mission of the church is what unites us. Today, we're gonna get the opportunity to take communion together. And so today, we can remember and celebrate that Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us is what's uniting us in faith and in fellowship. It's what makes us brothers and sisters born anew into God's family. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Kelly Reed from Tapestry Church up to lead us in communion. 
and just remind us that we are one in Christ.